Thank you that it is done, that it is finished. Thank you that you have taken away our hopelessness. And today we stand hopeful and saved from the wrath that you have against sin. So thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness, for your love for us. God, I pray that this morning as we hear your word, I pray for conviction in our hearts. Pray that you would work within our hearts and just help us, Lord, to realize how good you are and how wonderful your grace is in our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Mercy Hill. It's a beautiful day out there. <laughs> um, once again, it's a pleasure to be able to stand here and share God's word with you guys. And um, as we continue with our sermon series on the book of Romans, today we're in Romans 7, chap- uh, chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them, Romans 7, 7 through 12. And I'm going to go ahead and read the, the whole passage here. The law and sin. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not, for the, for the, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that it is it, it, what it is to covet, if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin Seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I'm going to pray once again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is life. Your word is good and it's encouraging to us. We just thank you so much that we get the opportunity, Lord, to gather together to hear you speak to our hearts this morning. I pray, God, that you help us to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was a teenager, back in the day, I I loved motorcycles. Um, And I couldn't wait for a day when I would be able to ride a motorcycle. My brother, who I lived with, uh, he owned a motorcycle, and uh, I just couldn't wait to learn how to ride it. And so I remember one day he decided to teach me, and I was really, really excited, and I started to ride it, you know, one day, another day, and so uh, just a way of practicing it. And the reason behind it was that he traveled a lot, and he wanted me to be able to use it while he was gone. In case anybody got sick in the house, I would be able to use the motorcycle to take him to the hospital or any situation like that. And so I learned to use it, to ride a motorcycle. 
One day, my brother asked me to go to the store and buy bread. Um, I took the motorcycle. It was early in the morning, and I had to go to school that morning. But before that, I took the motorcycle, and I rode it to the store. But while I was at the store, I remembered that I had to go somewhere else. And that, my brother, I'm sure he was not, he wouldn't be happy, you know, with me going somewhere else other than the place where he has sent me to. And so I bought bread, and I rode the motorcycle to that place. On the way back, I was by the traffic light. It was red, and I stopped, and somehow the motorcycle stopped working. And I tried to, to um, turn it on, and it wouldn't go. And so what I did was, and, and you can imagine, there were people behind me beeping on me, you know, honking their horns, and I was under pressure right there to be, you know, to go out of the way. And so I pushed the motorcycle to the side, and there was a road. Um, and that road, nobody was allowed to go in. It was a one-way road. It was an exit. And so I was going into that road, pushing the motorcycle. And there was a, of course, there was a traffic police looking at me. He's like, what is that guy doing? And so he comes to me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And so he asked me these questions. Don't you know that you're, this is the wrong way? And at the time, I did not know the word wrong way in Portuguese because literally translated, it says wrong hand in Portuguese. So when he said that, I was looking at my hands. I was like, what is wrong with my hands? Because I did not know. I hadn't been to school to learn how to ride the motorcycle, so I didn't know. Um, so that happened, and he was like, well, I'm going to give you a ticket for going into this road when you're not supposed to. I pleaded with him. And because I was so scared of my brother and I didn't have money, I'm sure my brother was not going to pay that, that fine. I was in trouble. And I pleaded with him. Eventually, he forgave me. He's like, yeah, you can go, but do not do it again. Um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I broke the law right at that moment. That road was not a road that I was supposed to be going into. That was an exit. And I believe that everybody knows that when there is law, <laughs> there is transgression. And where there is transgression, there is a court involved. And where there is a court, there is a judge involved. And where there is a judge, there is punishment involved. And I was almost going through that punishment at that moment. But thankfully, he didn't punish me with the fine. And this applies in the kingdom of God, too. It applies because God gave us the law. And because of our sinful nature, we have broken the law. And I think we can, I believe we can remember back in, you know, right at the beginning. God gives a command to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve... They ended up breaking that command. And from then on, sin abounded in people's lives. And so because of that commandment that was broken, and because there are parents, we inherit that sin. 
And so therefore, we are condemned. And that applies um, to our lives today. Now, as time went by, we see so many circumstances in which sin was in people's hearts. And, you know, sin abounded in people's lives and it was multiplying in the humanity. Um, but even in the midst of that, there were people, we see in the Bible, people that loved the law. One example of that is, is David. David himself declares to love the law of God. And you can see that in Psalm 119, verses, verse 97, where it says, Oh, oh, how I love the law. It is my meditation all day. So we can, we can clearly see here that he loves the law. The same law that was broken, the same law that he himself broke, but still he loves it. And he says again in, in chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, on his law he meditates then, day and night. So this shows us clearly that this man loves the law of God. He loves to know that God himself has given the law, even though the law was broken, but he still loves it. So if we, could, if we look at the example that I just gave, it's good that the law was there. It's good that everybody knew. And, and, and by the way, there was a sign on the side that prohibited anyone from going through that road. And I saw that sign, and because I hadn't been to school, I didn't know what it meant. But the law was already there, and I broke it. And I believe that I wasn't the only one. So many people have gone through that too. So the law was given. The same way that God had given the law, men knew the law of God, but they still broke the law of God. And that applies to us today. We have the law of God, and we break it. We break it. So as we get into the book of Romans, we see in, in chapters 3, 4, and 5 where Paul says clearly that the law cannot save us. So then why did God give the law? And in chapter 6, he says also that the law cannot sanctify us. Now, at some point he says it can't save us, and then it can't sanctify us. Is it important? Is the law important? Which leads me to my first point this morning. Point number one says the law exposes sin. That is the importance of the law. It exposes sin. It brings sin to the surface. And that's exactly what God intended. Because he knew that we were depraved. He knew that our minds did not naturally focus on things above. And so he brings the law to convict us of our sin. To expose our sin. To bring our sin to the surface. So in, chapter, in verse 7 here he says, What then shall, I, shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet 
if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, the law is meant to convict us of our sin. The law is meant to help us to come to terms with the fact that we are sinful. And that's what God intended by bringing the law. We need to know the depth of our depravity. We need to know to what extent we have gone deep into sin. We need to, we need to be aware of that. And by the way, there is no salvation without the recognition in our hearts of our sinful nature. There is no salvation. If we do not recognize, if we, not, if we do not acknowledge in our hearts that we are sinful and that we need Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. In, verse, uh, in chapter 3, Paul says, uh, verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. He doesn't discriminate here. He doesn't say this, this has sinned and this group of people have not sinned. Both Gentiles and Jews, everybody, anybody who has ever walked on this earth except for Jesus Christ, everybody have sinned. And what we deserve is the wrath of God, the punishment of God. And a little bit ahead, in chapter 7, 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You're probably thinking, oh, that sounds like me. Yes. We do have the desire to do something good. But something in our hearts directs us the opposite way. So there is nothing good in our flesh. Nothing good. There is rot. There is, there is this filthiness in our hearts without Jesus. It's such a good news that we have Jesus. We have the law that convicts us of our sin. And we're able to humble ourselves before God and have mercy that only God can, can provide. In Mozambique, um, if, you, if you guys have, if you had come to Mozambique or visited Mozambique in the early 2000s, one thing that I know that you would have encountered for sure is street preachers. Um, it was people from the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, some of the prosperity gospel churches. They were always in the streets and preaching the gospel to passers-by. And that was very usual at the time. And um, one of the verses that they used, if not probably the only one, because it was people that were in a hurry going somewhere, they would stop them and talk to them for just two minutes or three or five minutes, and so it was something quick. So one of the verses that they used was John 3.16. Right? John 3.16. And so they used that verse, and they told the person, and, uh, you know, God loves the world, and he gave his son so that we cannot perish but have eternal life. So if you pray this prayer, God is going to forgive you and give you eternal life. So what they did was to say this prayer and ask the person to repeat. And I'm sure that we can all see that there is a, 
there are, there are some, a couple of things that are not very effective when it comes to, to preaching the gospel to unbelievers. And one of the things is the fact that there is really no emphasis on the sin. We're all sinful, but there is no emphasis on how, that, how sinful that person is. And without the recognition that you're sinful, you're not going to need Jesus. You're not going to think that you need Jesus. And so that's, that's exactly what happened. And the other thing is the prayer that they asked the person to pray was a repetition of somebody else's words. It is not something that comes in uh, from their heart, from the conviction of their own heart. It wasn't that. And so that is not, I don't think it's effective when it comes to preaching the gospel. The conviction, it has to come from the heart, from the recognition that the person is sinful and they need help. The help that only Jesus can provide. Amen. That's where it should come from. So we need to know that we have grieved God. We need to know that. And that comes from the law. We can find that conviction from the law. We have to, to be aware that we're perishing and we're headed to destruction. We need to be aware of that, that we're under the wrath of God. We need to be convicted by by the law of God, and that's what God desires. It's amazing to know your condition, isn't it? It's amazing to know that you're sinful. That is a very positive thing. Think about someone that's sick. If they go to the hospital and they're, they're not diagnosed with anything when they're sick, but they're not diagnosed with anything, is, is that a good thing? I don't think it is. If you go to the hospital, you're sick, they do all sorts of testing, they don't find anything, that is not a good thing. If you're sick, that means there is something wrong. If it cannot be found, then there is something wrong. And that is something happens that, that happens. At least back in Mozambique, it happens a lot. I don't know if it's because of the, our health um, the, the, our, our health system over there that's not, it's not okay, or, you know, if, if it's because of lack of machines to test and all that, but it's something that happens a lot. You can see someone laying on the ground, laying on the ground, crying, screaming, because they have so much pain. But you take them to the hospital, they get tested, there is nothing that's found. That is not a good thing. So when we have the law, and the law helps us to know where it is in our lives that we have failed, that is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. It's a thing to be praising God for. We should be praising God for the law. Even though it does not save us, it does not sanctify us. And the fact that it shows us where we have failed, we should be praising God and worshiping God for that. Because if it wasn't for our, the conviction we have in our hearts, then we would think that we don't really need Jesus. When we do, we truly do need Jesus. You might think that 
What about those people who commit crimes then? They, do they not know because they don't know the law of God? Do they not know that crime is sinful? Of course they do. Even if somebody has never heard you should not murder, they know. Their conscience tells them that murdering is sinful, is bad. At least they know that it's not okay. They know it. Even somebody that commits adultery, they know in their heart, they know their conscience tells them that this, this is not okay. This is not good. It is not good. But the conviction, true conviction, it comes when we come to realize the, deep, uh, the, the depth of our sin before God. That's where it comes from. So the law is good because it brings conviction. In Romans 3.20, we read that, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Clear. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We know that we have sinned because that God tells us to not sin. And in, in chapter 4.15, he says, For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. And again, back into that example that I gave you. If I didn't, if there was no law as far as driving, that wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have broken any law. But because there is law, even though I did not know it, but it was there and I broke it. So where there is no law, there is no transgression. But we have law, so there is transgression. And the result of that transgression is the wrath of God without Jesus. And in chapter 5, 13, it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So there it is, once again, the importance of the law. The law is there to tell us that we have transgressed, we have sinned against God. So we need Jesus for us to, to go back to our relationship that our forefathers had with God. If you can remember in Matthew chapter 19, 16, there is a story of Jesus talking to a young ruler. And he said, And behold, a man came upon him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. This is Jesus talking to the young ruler. If you would enter life, keep the commandment. And I think there is a tendency here for us to misunderstand Jesus' words thinking that he was telling him to obey the law so that he would have eternal life. That is not necessarily what Jesus meant here. What he meant is, examine yourself in light of the law and see if you're really good. If you really think that you have been obeying all these commandments from, from your childhood. And I feel like if, if, if we do that, if we examine ourselves in light of the law, we will see where we have wronged God. There is going to be conviction in our hearts as far as our sin is concerned. 
And then Paul gives an example here about coveting. Coveting is something that we, we do. Uh, it's applicable here in our days too. And so he says, I would, not, not, I would not have known what it is to covet if it wasn't for the law. So what is coveting? Coveting is having um, this deep desire of having something that belongs to somebody else. Um, Covenant is like lasting over something that somebody has. And if we, if we think about that, truly think about that, we will know that we covet all the time. We see things that people have that we desire to have. And we last over them. And this was happening with Paul. And he only came to the surface when he read the law of God and he got convicted by it. It's actually the 10th commandment that says, you shall not covet. And it's, a, it's something that deals with the heart. The other commandments deal with, you know, things that we can measure on, on the outside, external things. But this particular one, it deals with the heart. When I look at you, I don't know what you covet. And when you look at me, you don't see what I covet, what I desire so much, to the point of willing to sin against God in order to achieve that thing. You don't see it. It's something that's deep inside our hearts. And so Paul gets convicted by reading the law of God. People covet all the time. I believe in our communities when we see People that are poor, they look at the rich and they covet what they have. Oh, I wish I had that. I wish, I so much wish I had this. I wish I had a house like that. I wish I had a car like that. And it's not one-sided either. If you look at the rich people also, you know that the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. That's coveting as well. So this is a sin that's real in our lives. You might, you might be coveting prestige. You might be coveting popularity, popularity. Or you might be coveting power. Or coveting looks even. I wish I looked like that person. There's a whole bunch of things that we covet. And so Paul gets convicted of his sin. Through the law. And so the law is meant to convict us of our sin. And the second point that I'll be talking about this morning is the fact that the law revives sin. The law revives sin. And we can find that in verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law... Sin lies dead. So sin lies dead. What that means is sin lies dormant. It's nowhere to be seen without the law. We cannot see it. And if you look at Paul's life, Paul himself was a Pharisee. He knew the law of God. He studied the law of God. He memorized the law of God. He interpreted the law of God as a Pharisee. In his life. And this was before he even came to know Christ. 
He knew all those things. He taught the law. He was self-righteous as far as the law was concerned because he obeyed the law. And so he considered even himself as blameless. And we can find that in Galatians 1.14. He says, and I was, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What was the tradition? To know the law of God. So they had all these laws that they had to memorize and they had to learn them by heart. And Paul was there. He knew all those things. But yet he was so zealous in those traditions, zealous in knowing and learning the law of God. But still, he was under the law, and so he was, he was under the curse of God, being under the law. Because what he thought was the law that he knew was going to save him. And that is not right. He goes even in more details in Philippians 3, 5, and 6. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. There you go. He was blameless as far as the law was concerned. So you can see that Paul here, his, his sinfulness was still not under the, uh, on the surface. He knew all these laws, but he was not necessarily convicted. But here he tells us that if it wasn't for the law, he wouldn't have known about his sinfulness. So the law revives sin. It brings sin to the surface. It ignites sin. Sin that was in Paul's heart now was in the, on the surface. And he could see it. And because he could see it, he could repent. And he truly repented when he met Jesus. He repented. And today, we are studying the word of God that comes from Paul himself. The one that persecuted the church. I hope that we're convicted by our sin. I do not know what sin you have committed. I know the sin that I have committed. And it's, it's me that has to come to the realization of the depth of that sin. And it's you that has to come to terms with how deep your sin is. And to acknowledge that. And humble yourself before God and ask for forgiveness. Because only Christ can give life. Um, how many of you have seen a mosquito net? A mosquito net. <laughs> uh, in Mozambique, mosquito nets are very, very common because we have a disease called malaria. And malaria comes from mosquitoes. If you get a uh, mosquito sting you, um, it might have malaria in it, and it passes on to you. And so to avoid that, we have mosquito nets that we put over our bed so that when you sleep, the mosquito net is around you, 
and it prevents mosquitoes from going through it and stinging you. And I believe you can imagine, as tiny as a mosquito is, how small those holes are on the net that do not allow mosquitoes to go through. I believe you can imagine that. And what, happened, what happens in Mozambique is, I don't know if there is a law when it comes to fishing. Um, if there is, then it's not very much wide, widespread. If not, it's not known by a regular Mozambique. And probably people in the government know it, but the population, it's... it's it, I mean, the knowledge of that is in a very small scale. And so, because of that, people go fishing with mosquito nets. They take a mosquito net and throw it in the water. And when they take it out, you can imagine, is there any kind of fish that is going to escape that net? <laughs> no. They bring everything that falls, falls on the net, everything. You find the tiniest fish in there. And here you, here you see the government saying to them, you know, you need to avoid this because you're going to run out of fish. You're not going to have fish anymore because you're, you're taking even the smallest fish. But these people do not know that law. They don't know it. In their mind, they're not breaking any law. It's just people telling them to not, uh, not to do that. There is no law that tells them that they cannot do it. Now, at some point, the government decided to let the people know about the laws when it comes to fisheries and all that. And then that brought another problem. Oh, now we can do that. People knew that that was forbidden, and now... They were doing it. Even more people joined the group. They joined the club, you know, fishing with mosquito nets, which is not good for, for the animals in the sea. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is the fact that sin, uh, the law revives sin. And we see here that these people, now they know the law that says do not fish, you know, with mosquito nets because you need, you need to protect those animals and just take fish that you can actually, that's big enough to eat. But now there is more and more people joining and, and doing the same thing. And so that law revived sin. And that's what is, what is happening here. Like, sin was dead in Paul's life, in Paul's heart. It was dead. But when he came to know the sin... He came alive. Sin came alive. And he realized that I've been sinful. I have been sinful, sinful all along. And that is what the human heart is like. And if you have ever been around children, you can see that very clearly. If you have one toy and one child has that toy, the tendency is for the other one to want that toy. And to get it from them, if, if they cannot get it, then they start crying, there is chaos in the house, because they want the same toy for them, each one wants it for themselves. And that's the human, uh, the human heart. 
It's our condition as human beings. And so sin brings, bring, uh, the law brings sin to, to the surface. We get to see it. And the idea and, and, and the intention here is for us to get convicted by it. And the third point this morning is that the law reveals death. The law reveals death, and that is found in, in verses 9 through 11. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So what we see here is death that the law brings. When God gives the law and he tells them to, to obey the law, God is aware, God knows that they will not be able to obey the law 100%. They, he knows it. And whoever was not, was not capable of doing that, the end was death. And so that's exactly what we see here in this, in this passage. So we see that law over-promises, but it under-delivers. It promises life, but it doesn't give life. It gives death. If we are not in Christ. And so something needs to die in us. If we are really to inherit the kingdom of God, something needs to die in us. We need to die to sin and be alive to Christ. That's what we need. We cannot be alive to both sin and God. There is no middle ground. There is either one or the other. And the saddest thing is being dead and not knowing that we're dead. That is very sad. And I believe that when we look around in our communities, you know, in our, where we work and everywhere else, we can see people that are in that death, death life, but they do not realize, they do not realize that they're dead. And that is a very sad thing. And it's our responsibility to tell them. It's our responsibility to preach the gospel to them and tell them that they're dead in their trespasses and sins, as in Ephesians 2. Ephesians, by the way, it says, and you were dead in, it, in the trespasses and sins. And that's exactly who we were before Christ. And that's exactly the condition of the people, some of the people that we see on a daily basis. And we should be preaching the gospel to them. Of course, we're not under, under the law. We're not under the civil, war of, or civil law of Israel because we're not Israel. And we're not under the law, the ceremonial law, because Jesus has died on the cross and he, he died for our trespasses. And he, be, he became the Lamb of God to fulfill that ceremonial law. And when Jesus says, it is finished, that is the end of that ceremonial law. But we are under the moral law of God. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we read here, again, about uh, the commission. 
that Jesus gives to his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And he says, I am with you always to the end of the ages. There are two things I want to draw your attention to. One is the fact that he calls us to observe what he has commanded us to do. And the second is that he is with us. What that means is we will not be able to obey what he has commanded us without him. So this is something that we need. Jesus, we need Jesus every day, every step, every day, on a daily basis. We need him. Without him, we are nothing. We will not be able to follow him without him. We need him. And we need to come to to realize this in our lives. We need to realize this. So in verse 12, he says, So the law is, is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And this is, this is another comment from the first question he posed right at the beginning. When he said, can we say the law is sin? By no means. And so he comments here in verse 12. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. In other words, it is perfect. The law is perfect. So what is the remedy? If the law brings death, what is the remedy? And I would, I, would argue, I would argue that the remedy is the gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see that in Romans 1.16, back when we were in chapter 1, where it says, For I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is the gospel right there. That is the remedy. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the remedy for our deadness. And it's the remedy for our community, for our state. It's the remedy for our nation. That's the only remedy. And without that, there is nothing we will find out there that will be the remedy for that. And I think if we look, when you look at this nation, when you look at nations around the world, we see that the nations need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the depravity that is in men's hearts, we know for sure that we need the gospel. And that is the only thing. There is nothing else, nothing else that can save us apart from the gospel, apart from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so until we find the remedy, we'll still be dead. And that is a very sad place to be. As I close here, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So there you have it. Without that remedy, without the gospel, we'll remain dead. And it's not a good place to be. Because there is a wrath that God has against sin. And life can only only be found in Jesus Christ. 
And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure about this life that Christ offers. I would tell you that that life is real and you can seek it. And Jesus promises that you will find it. Just humble yourself before God and have faith in Jesus. And he's right there. He is available. Life is available for you. And that is true. And that is the truth of the gospel. And that is the whole point for which we're here this morning. Because the gospel is alive. The gospel is real. Jesus is alive. And we can trust in him. That he, he continues to work. Amen. He works in our hearts. And he'll continue to work. Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will help us. Convict us, Lord. Bring our sin to the surface. We need to know it, God. We need to repent from it. And to really, really trust you and to follow you with all our hearts and minds and souls. Help us, Lord. As we leave this place this morning, God, I just pray that our lives will be transformed, transformed completely. That we'll have the desire to follow you. We'll have the desire to serve you wholeheartedly. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.